Hello and welcome to But Where Are You From, a podcast by Be Seen, Britain's East and Southeast Asian network. I'm your host, Fear Piao, and I'm eating crisps right now. And I'm joined I... by. <laughs> and I'm joined. You. Fuck's sake. <laughs> and I'm joined by. <laughs> Amy, and I am not eating crisps. And I am still a bit rusty, still. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Getting used to Zooming. <laughs> Who did we have on the podcast this week? We had young fun uh, design duo, Lucy Chung and Patrick Gildersleeves, lovely people. Uh, a bit about them. They met at Leeds University. They studied art and design. And this episode is about their business, how they started their shop. And um, the fact that they currently work from home. They have a studio in Brighton. And they do stuff like screen printing. They make clothes and drawing. I think, Viv, did you think about buying some of their pieces one time yeah I did I actually need to look into it again because for some reason I just didn't but I would like to get one of their cohorts they're really cool have you seen them I yeah I really like them Mm. and also their dungarees are really Mm. nice yeah 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 they do sort of characters like different animals and it's really bright and you can just tell it's good quality yeah you you can make it all by hand which is Mm -hmm. really cool Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm I think it's also 100% organic as well. Really? I think I went on web- their website before and it said that, but I'll double, double fact check before. <laughs> I think it's so amazing how people who make their own things, make their own mm. design, make their own clothes, like they're actually able to make a living out of it. That just blows my mind. It's amazing. And they were both wearing it on the call as well. So Lucy was in like a red t-shirt and then she was wearing the dungarees that were like bright, like light pink with like the red design on it. Oh, illustration yeah. and then Patrick was wearing a blue t-shirt with like um, a hand-drawn illustration on it it looks so cool yeah that's so cool influences of their own brand well, no, do you think they have anything like from H&V or like Zara in their wardrobe <laughs> H&V <laughs> not the H&V. music shop H&M, <laughs> H&M. <laughs> yeah yeah maybe maybe they mix and match their pieces you know yeah do you like, think yeah maybe or do you reckon they've got anything from like a fast fashion brand yeah or like even primark or something we should have asked them that oh yeah we should have asked them that (laughs) never mind next time next time that's a whole nother kettle of fish isn't it Mm, that's true that's true true that true that um it was really nice speaking with them it was i found out a lot about Mm. sort of getting to start a business what you can do and i feel like definitely there is no one formula for doing it Mm. It wasn't like, here's the manual on how you start your business and it will be a success. I just mm-hmm. like, just have to get on with it and then hope, yeah. hopefully was the, was the vibe I got. They basically said, don't do it, was <laughs> their advice. Don't do it. If you do, you'll be poor for a long, long, long time. <laughs> but we thought that was like really honest advice, you know, because yeah. that was their, true to them, but obviously not to everyone. I mean, it's kind of similar to what my parents said to me when I told them I wanted to <laughs> They said, don't do it. You'll be poor. They're like, why are you doing that? What is design? I don't understand. <laughs> I do need some water, though. Sorry. That's really oh, go for it. Go for it. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you should say sorry. 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 No, I go. Lee, I'm all yum go. Oh, yum go. Hey, more yum. I 
think since I'm doing Cantonese lessons with Robin, I realised mm. I've pronounced so many things wrong. Like my tone is a bit off on a few things. Like hat, yeah. I used to say mole when it's actually mole. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying fur. Yeah, yeah. I say mole. put your fur on. <laughs> put your fur on. Yeah, but actually it's mole. And yeah, I got corrected. Yeah. Cobbler's lesson. Did you? That's really good. That. <laughs> no, I meant in my head. I corrected myself. Ah, uh, I thought I thought the Canto teacher corrected you. She probably heard it. Was like, mm, yeah, her pronunciation's a bit wonky. Mole, 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 mole. Hey, mole, mole, say mole, 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 je, mole, mole, je, mole, mole. Mole, je, mole. I have getting confused now which one's which. Mole is hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. I can picture Carly like hanging her head in shame. Yeah, so okay. like, how are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah, in general. And from oh. like, out of 10, how are you doing? Out of 10, I right now I'm about a good solid eight. Really excited to do the podcast again. Mm, you've been away for a while. I, ha- I have. I've been massively procrastinating on the podcast side of things, so I'm really sorry. Okay, I'm going to turn off my WhatsApp. Sorry, it's making it go ka-ching. <laughs> How are you out of 10 and why? Um, I'm about a 7 out of 10 because I've been reading my school reports. My sister brought around. <laughs> My sister brought around my old boxes because obviously she doesn't want it in her house anymore. And I went through them and I had all my old school things in there. And I was posting them, obviously, in the BC chat because I thought you should all see it. And there was a running theme, which was Amy talks too much. (laughs) (laughs) I love that theme so much. And I was just saying to you before, I love how it's actually not like about being quiet, like good little Chinese student being quiet, but you're like, no, you need to shut up. <laughs> yeah, to the point where the teachers actually wrote, Amy needs to concentrate and she needs to focus. And then there's a self-assessment at the end of every report where I have to say where I want to improve. And every year I've written, I need to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's true? Like, do you think like now you'd want to stop talking or do you think that's like actually your strength as a person? It's like creating relationships and making people feel comfortable, you know? Well, <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I hope. But actually, maybe I should start shutting up. And <laughs> no, 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 don't listen to them. It is a skill, though, isn't it? Like listening mm. properly and making sure that you're giving people space. And I think it's so important that people actually tell me that, like Amy Sharp and me actually do it, because clearly I feel like I have too much to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like a strength and a weakness to it because like there's some people who are just naturally good listeners who are better at like taking a step back and just being a good active listener but then there's some people who are on the very very extreme end of the spectrum just like "Ah, blah 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 and they don't take anything in and it's like really hard to get that balance of the two. Yeah I think always when you look at yourself and Mm. think you see yourself in a certain way and then you read back on school reports and it was like, ah, oh, actually I was kind of annoying. <laughs> so, <laughs> Amy so, needs uh, to be less annoying. 
yeah, yeah, I'm still working on it. Um, but yeah, it's really fun to read because, you know, you forget what you're like as a kid. You sort of get into your own head when you're a bit older or you're an adult. And it's sort of nice to read back and be like, okay, you know, there's some bits I could have worked on. I wasn't very good at rounders. <laughs> what does it say? Can you read out the bit about okay. the rounders and like the, the whole setup of it? Okay, then. So this is in year six. I was in primary school. I must have been 10 or 11. And it's titled Amy Fung Self-Assessment for Year Six. It's written in a very blocky, pixely font, which kind of shows my age. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just you just have to, I guess, talk about yourself, what you think. And I've written stuff like I am very good at recorders, but I'm not very good at violin because I don't know the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my handwriting can be easily read, but when I write drafts of things, it gets all untidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the bit about rounders? I can't see on it. The first page, I think. I think I'm getting better on maps. Maybe it's because I like doing maps better. Do you? No, I'm really bad. That's the thing. I'm awful <laughs> at maths. So this think- is so surprising. But you did end up working in finance for a while before you became a graphic designer. Yeah, true. Um, I'm very good at Excel. So I'm not good at mental arithmetic, but I'm good at like software. Are you? Yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like we've we've not seen the side of you, the Excel side of you in <laughs> the scene. Like, not that I've been wanting it, but I think it's probably because I really hated well, not hated, that's a strong word, but didn't enjoy working in finance much because as you know, Viv, I'm not very good with admin type things. So (laughs) (laughs) me too. Yeah, we're the same there, aren't we? Okay, I found the rounders bit. In rounders, I don't score very often and usually I miss the ball when you have to hit it. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually the aim of rounders is to hit the ball. Can you read the bit about the English bit? Because I thought that was really funny. English bit. Um, okay. <laughs> English is okay, but I'm not very good at it. And I'm not very bad at it. So I'm kind of in the middle. But I would like to get better at that. I love that. There's just so much nuance there. Because you've kind of gone from good to not good to not bad to okay. Like you've gone the whole spectrum there. I think yeah, it's yeah. very insightful. I think it's good to have to encourage kids to have that kind of critical thinking isn't it like (laughs) what am I rubbish at and what can I be better at yeah I I really really enjoyed it I I really want to find mine but I can't remember whether I've got that many reports left got to go to Mama Yao get the info Mm. It might be on, under my bed, actually. I do just remember they're all like, oh, Viv is very quiet. And then it's always about me and Steph together, like me and my twin sister. Viv and Stephanie, Vivian and Stephanie are this and this and this, both very quiet, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why can't you just see us as separate? You know? How do you feel about that? Oh, that sounds like a therapy session. I'll probably bring this up tomorrow with my therapist. Um, I feel like it definitely impacted my sense of individuality and... um not being able to separate myself as a twin and kind of perpetuating that because of other people doing it to us as well so like I I find it more comfortable hanging out in say groups of like like one-on-one I find it really difficult because I think I've always been used to having my twin sister there as like the buffer so groups of threes I find really comfortable me and another person sometimes I find it a bit intense because I'm like I don't have the other half of me that doesn't come across at all it's a very innate deep thing I think do you feel like carry on 
Look at me not being good at listening. <laughs> no. So right now I am struggling. No, I think it's something that obviously I'm just aware of from how I, my inner child when I was younger, how I felt being around so, certain social situations. Like it's way more comfortable if I've got my, my twin sister there. And has that carried on now that you're older? Do you still feel like that? No, not anymore. I don't know. It depends on the type of friend, but I think new friends, I think I prefer having like groups. I don't know. Depends really. Depends on who the person is. Yeah. I I think I've grown out of it. Yeah. It's really complex, isn't it? Mm, It is complex. It is complex. Um, Shall we chat about the, have you seen the very Asian debacle that's been going around I have yeah that was the journalist who was talking on the news segment about the new year and she was talking about not just um her new year she was actually talking about how people in America celebrate new year and then she sort of brought it back to herself was like oh by the way I'm Asian American and we eat dumplings and uh, it was really nice I mean from the sounds of it what she was saying was really nice but obviously someone called in and criticized her (laughs) It was so stupid. Yeah. For those who don't know, the woman who rang up, we assume she's a white woman. She basically said that she found it really offensive that she brought her Asianness to the new segment and that like if a white person was talking about what they eat, then that wouldn't be okay. So she needs to leave her she was very Asian and she needs to leave her Koreanness or something. <laughs> it was so stupid. But also very violent and I can see a lot of white women having that opinion as well yeah it's really sad because I feel that as a news anchor especially someone who's in the public space she was really putting herself out there being quite vulnerable talking about something extremely personal and for someone to attack her like that especially when they're anonymous and Mm. they're doing it behind a phone call it must be so hard I mean just Mm. listening to that I remember playing it to my boyfriend we were talking about it the other night and uh, I played it to him and we were both sort of you know speechless because it's just not nice yeah I I listened to it again today on um, the Asian not Asian podcast and they played the clip of it and I just had to rewind it back a few times and listen to it again because I I actually started laughing on the train this morning because I was just so just surprised by her reaction like to go out of your way to find a news station's number to leave that message like she must have been very enraged so enraged and I just wonder how her like psyche is in day-to-day life if that kind of stuff is offensive to her Yeah, I guess it's the idea where if she is white, she obviously is used to being the centre, having American customs being the centre of her universe and often talked about. So when someone comes and takes up a bit of space and talks about themselves and it's different from your experience, somehow you feel erased or attacked Mm. because of it. And it's that, isn't it? It's someone else's interpretation. You can't control what other people feel. Yeah, that's sad. But that's very true. You can't control how other people feel. That's what my therapist tells me as well. Do you think I'll make a good therapist? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm trying to work on it, like, definitely. I mean, I do feel like, especially now in a space where we're moving in the BC space and the EC space, it's so nice to feel like you can talk to people and they understand. I think I maybe missed mm. a lot when I was younger. And perhaps that's why I was so yappy, because... <laughs> <laughs> no one was listening 
I was fighting to be understood. Oh, and congratulations, Amy, as well on the early years um, Lunar New Year resource that you put so much time and effort in. You it's too. Amazing. No, I didn't sit there and design all the, the fun games and stuff. Still, I think it was so important to have you and Steph or San. Should I call her Steph or San? Sorry. I think it's interchangeable. Okay, okay. I think it was so important for you and Steph and Jess to be part of that because I could have created it and not felt very confident about putting it out there because I'm not an educator, a teacher or a practitioner. I'm just a mum. And I needed you guys there for sure to say, this is okay, this is good, you can do this. And that was a huge part of it as well. And the amazing thing is, is the free resource that early years practitioners, and not even just early years uh, practitioners, but anyone who either works in the education space or is a parent or has a kid in their proximity, you can download the resource pack and it's completely free. So if you feel like downloading it, consider donating to our coffee page, which is on our website, or you can just get the pack for free and have a bloody good Lunar New Year celebrating it in a culturally sensitive way? Yeah, as much as possible. And I'm really aware that Lunar New Year is so broad, like the history is really long. It's celebrated in lots of different ways by different people. And it's personal as well to everyone. Two Chinese people won't celebrate it the same way in the same way that two Vietnamese people won't do it in the same way. So trying to get that balance of representing it in a broad way but also making sure that people feel honored in their traditions Mm -hmm. and also make it accessible to Mm -hmm. educators who maybe have no relationship with Lunar New Year and trying to make it in such a way that it's useful for them um, Mm -hmm. was this really delicate balance so I, I completely get if it doesn't please everyone or fulfill their expectations but it's a work in progress like it's definitely something where you know I've put version one on it so I know that it's something I need to work on so yeah fingers crossed that it spreads far and wide and we get loads of feedback if possible to help us improve I reckon people are going to absolutely bloody love it I hope so I hope so and I can't wait to see well I hope people will tag me in like activities that they do and things that they've done that would be really cool I actually might do it with my cousins. Like it's so easy to do. I have so many um, toilet roll, empty toilet roll things. You can just, it's so easy. Yeah, so easy. yeah. Yeah. And I, I could do it. I have to confess, I don't like real fireworks. So paint, <laughs> paint ones are fine. I've realized that we've gone on a tangent. Like, we're so good at that, aren't we? Like going oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess enjoy the podcast, everyone. Um, it was great to have Lucy and Patrick on. And we hope you enjoy and we'd love to hear what you think if anyone works in the creative industry or are thinking about it. I think this would be really interesting and they're really cool. Oh, and we need to plug their socials. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. You can find Lucy and Patrick at Yuck Fun Wow on Instagram. I always thought it was Yuck Fun Now. I just realized it's Yuck Fun Wow. Did you? Did you think it was I now? I thought it was just yuck fun. It's Actually, on Instagram, yuck fun. Wow. Oh, maybe it's just their social handles. Yes. But on their website, it's yuckfun.co.uk. And then you can shop all of their really cool prints and clothing and everything like that. Um, it's seriously so cool. So bright. And support an EC business. I mean, if mm-hmm. you're going to, if you need a co-ord, if you need some funky dungarees, then yep. go to Yuck Fun.
I'm so, actually looking right now. I'm going to buy something, I think. Yeah, buy it, buy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, thank you and enjoy the podcast, everyone. Enjoy. for joining us on but where are you from um apologies if i'm a little bit rusty i haven't picked up this microphone since like last summer i think like before august so i've completely forgotten how to do this uh so thanks for your patience um how are you both out of 10 and why out of 10 i'm gonna say eight i feel pretty good even though i haven't had much sleep oh nice feeling feeling pep to be on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh good I'm glad to hear eight is a strong number I was also eight when uh, Amy and I um did our check-in before and now you've you've dropped to a three (laughs) because (laughs) I was talking to you (laughs) I'm gonna say nine I'm gonna say I'm feeling good not competition Patrick (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking I I got loads of sleep last night so I have no excuse I'm, I'm feeling good I've got a nice cup of tea I'm on, on the Be Seen podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> Yay! Oh, well, thank you so much for joining. I'm sorry that you both had very polarizing sleep last night from the sounds of things. <laughs> was it you, Patrick, were you snoring? Maybe. Yes. Oh, okay. Was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. Ever try that trick where you try and roll that person onto their side and it kind of stops them from doing it. I like to just like hold his nose so he stops breathing for a bit and then he has to like wake up. Wow. You chose violence. Wow. (laughs) The only way. (laughs) It is the only way. It's like such a passive aggressive way of like waking someone up to stop them from breathing. (laughs) He's fine. He's a nine. That's true. That's true. Still a nine. (laughs) (laughs) You can afford to lose a few points on the day. (laughs) Uh, Of course, the name of the podcast is But Where Are You From? So we have to ask this big question to the both of you. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do, where you grow up, whatever you want. Um, Shall we start with you, Lucy? Um, So I was born in the UK. Um, not in Brighton where we live now but along the coast a little bit near Portsmouth and my parents kind of moved around a little bit and they're from they're hacker Chinese but they came via Hong Kong back in like the 70s or something to the UK and yeah we've just moved around a little bit like I've lived in like Wiltshire and then I went to Leeds for uni and now I'm in Brighton with Patrick. How about you, Patrick? Uh, I'm originally from Suffolk. Um, I grew up in a a sort of quite boring, medium-sized village uh, in the flat, the very flat countryside there. Um, It wasn't like a sort of thatched cottage, gorgeous village. It's like a sort of, Mm. it's like being in the suburbs, but like there's nothing like near apart from Ipswich, which is like Mm. a sort of medium-sized, boring town. Uh, but I liked it. It was a good uh, childhood. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, um, after like a foundation art course at college, I moved to Leeds, uh, which is where I met Lucy. And after we graduated, we both moved down south to Brighton. And we've been there since 2008. Yeah. <laughs> a wow. long time. Mm. Amazing. Patrick, was there like a B&M in your village? What's a B&M? What, like a... Like a, a Home Bargains? Or like... Oh, no. No. There oh, was... That's sad. They're really good. There was a co-op and a fish and chip shop and a news agent. I think that's kind of it. And there may be like two pubs. Yeah, that's that's proper suburban then, isn't it? Mm. You don't even have a B&M. <laughs> I, mean, I grew up in Warrington and we had B&M. They're quite big shops, aren't they? Yeah. Like, you know, on the retail estates kind of... Oh, right, right. Get everything, everything. <laughs> Anything you think of, you can get it from BNM. That's your measurement for uh, mm-hmm. suburbia. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I don't know what, just, why that just came to mind. I, I don't I think. Love a harvester. Mm. <gasps> love a harvester. <laughs> and, a to- and a Toby Carvery as well. Yeah. Oh, I've heard those God. breakfasts are really good. Yeah, it's all you can eat, all you can eat. And then the the roasts as well are like actually really good quality and just so cheap. Top tip, get the children's plates because you can still get just as much. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. You heard it here first, Don, but where are you from? (laughs) Oh, can you only go once to the buffet? Like you can't keep going back. For the for the um Toby Carvery, I think you can only get the meats once, but I think the sides are unlimited. I can't remember, to be honest. Oh. Did you yeah. ever read about that story? I think it was from China where someone went to one of those buffets where you can only go once. And so they built a wall out of food, <laughs> carrot sticks, to make a column, like a container out of vegetables. <laughs> and then they put food inside. What? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's clever. It built built a wall of food, like a container shape, in order to pile (laughs) on the the goods. Buffet hack! (laughs) The reason why we wanted to have you both on is because we love all the work that you both do uh, for Yuck Fun. Um, So we'd love to know, uh, you've shared a little bit about you both meeting at Leeds University. Leeds University. Um, No, it was the... The rubbish one. Yeah, the rubbish yeah. Uh, Leeds University. Um, how did you get started with Yuck Fun? Like, how, tell us about your origin story. Um, so after graduating, we were both kind of like trying to do our own art thing, but um, sort of a little bit unsuccessfully. Um, but Patrick managed to get like a commission to do some like kids t-shirts and stuff. And I was having a wonderful six-week summer of unemployment. And I saw this um, ad or something for, like, creative business loans. And I was like, we, we could just make our own T-shirts. We don't need someone to, like, um, commission us. So um, that's how it started, really. Patrick, do you, do you have any kind of embellishments to that at all? Uh... Well, the uh, arty period after graduating was quite long. Like Lucy made it sound <laughs> like it was like a year or something. This is like mm. 2008 to We're 2000. actually in our 50s. <laughs> 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 it was like 2008 to 2014. So 
we, we were both working like yeah. sometimes full-time jobs and sometimes part-time jobs that were like mm. totally unrelated to art mm. mostly actually I don't think either of us did any creative kind of work did we, we were like yeah retail sort of caring work yeah. like support work mm. yeah um and then trying to do art on the side which is really hard yeah it's just knackering really mm. <laughs> depressing <Yeah. laughs> mostly depressing <laughs> <laughs> What was the um, the best and worst non-art job that you, you did during that period then? Because that's, that's a really long time, um, like, in terms of doing it on the side. I worked in a Cornish pasty shop when we first moved to Brighton. How can and that be bad? they weren't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't very nice, Viv. <laughs> like... oh. Did you get a free I food, mean... though? Yeah, but like when you're working there, like all the time, you don't want to yeah. eat a pasty every day. Like you just go off them. Oh. Um, but yeah, like they made us clean all the time. And like <laughs> the owners were really weird. Like they went away on holiday and they, but they had like surveillance cameras like on us. <gasps> no. and like watching us to like make sure we were like working and stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. And then I found out after I left that um, they didn't pay anyone holiday pay, even though they were supposed to. But like, (gasps) it was kind of like one of my first jobs after like uni. So I didn't really like know about stuff like that. Mm. So that was my worst job. Should we boycott them? Yeah. Should I name and shame? I feel like there's only a a few Cornish pasty shops, really, isn't there, that focus on Cornish pasties? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Just a general pastry shop that yeah, sells Cornish. <laughs> How about yourself? Uh, my worst one. It's a toss up between Thorntons and Boots. Oh no, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have named and shamed them. <laughs> nah, they're corporates. It's corporates. Fine. Um, yeah. Thorntons is very, very boring. So yeah. boring. Mm. Uh, at least Boots had the sort of spice of <laughs> unusual people coming in and making the day quite interesting. <laughs> I, I want to say like... Boots just because it was full time, and it was oh. a tiny. It was a tiny Boots pharmacy. There were three of us in there, right? Just on a dead end street. The only people who came in had prescriptions, mm. and you'd have to like predict how long the prescription was going to take. And I found that really stressful. Be like. 10 minutes maybe mm, and mm. they'd be sitting there there's like one chair and they'd be sitting there right next to your till just looking at you <laughs> the, the clock behind me was ticking oh, I'd be geez. like please please pharmacist <laughs> please hurry up I have a theory that I think everyone should work in retail or in hospitality in mm. customer facing roles because I think it gives you an extra level of empathy for people who are serving every day and working so hard and definitely after I worked in retail I'm really sensitive about how people treat um, staff in retail and hospitality and stuff I think it, it's character building <laughs> yeah definitely but it does also make you hate people a little bit I think. <laughs> <laughs> just me do you still hate everyone? <laughs> <laughs> trying not to. <laughs> Is that why in your work you don't draw like just straight? It's not just people. Like there's like a animalistic element mm-hmm. to them because we don't like people. 
I mean, animals are better, aren't they? <laughs> than people. Yeah. I say innately yes. Innately yes. I do agree with that. But yeah, I, do, I also agree with Amy in terms of working in a takeaway and having to serve people um, who would just talk down to you all the time. It's soul yeah. destroying, isn't it? Drunk people. That was always yeah. Yeah, drunk men. Obviously, you both work in a partnership in this business. How do you make that work? Because it must be an interesting dynamic to sort of work together and also live together. Yeah, we do everything together, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then we'll be there COVID on top. (laughs) Times 10. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we managed to survive though I think we're both quite conscious of being nice to each other I think I definitely am yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe you shouldn't snore (laughs) I think yeah I think we're both very considerate people definitely to each other I'm not sure about everyone else in the world as soon as you hate everyone (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we we uh Lucy's had a part-time job quite a long time haven't you and like in November because we knew it was going to get really busy and then run up to Christmas um Lucy went down to like no days of part-time job and we were both like up in the studio together because we work in our loft Mm. um, which we had converted a while ago and I think there's a part of me that was quite worried that we just like drive each other completely nuts but after like the first week actually just just completely forgot about it and it was totally fine wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) no it was totally fine I I was a little bit shocked when you said I thought it was gonna be awful I was like how dare you (laughs) no I, I feel like we're just very conscious of the fact that we do do everything together so yeah you just have to like make it work I guess Mm. are there any boundaries that you put in place when it comes to like separating work life from home life how do you ensure that obviously you've got the physical studio which is where you where you work do you kind of like set hours for that or is it just as and when you feel like creating we try not to work evenings anymore or weekends as much because before when we were both doing it part-time it was just like all hours um but yeah, it is, it is hard to like, not just go upstairs and do a bit of work, really. Um, yeah, I don't think I have any like good advice for anyone with boundaries because I don't know if we're very good at that, really. I think it's probably a good idea to try and try and have some. But like when it came to Christmas time, it all just went out of the window, didn't it? it was up until then, mm. we'd been really good at like, uh, not working evenings and weekends about Christmas between like November and January we've worked like every evening and every weekend mm. <laughs> um, without much of a break really until like actually Christmas time wasn't it yeah and then like we've had like quite a big Christmas break and it's mm. it's been a bit hard to get back to work really because mm. I just want to lie down (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel you on that so <laughs> much, so much. I mean, it's obviously, you know, a test, a testament to you both in terms of being able to run a, a business um, kind of in between everything else and managing like, you know, being together as well as working together as well. Like sounds like you, you've managed to get into a good space of doing that most of the time, not uh, in a, in a very kind of um, arduous way. Like for those who, I think there's a, there'll be quite a few people listening who are in the creative industry um, who would love to be in your position in terms of um, having work that you can sell, um, lots of re- repeat customers and people supporting you and having a community. Do you have any um, advice or any tips or lessons that you've learned along the way? Because I appreciate it's been such a, a long journey for you uh, for those looking to sell their work. I feel like for us, it's just been like a long time with like building like a community and an audience like and just kind of being ourselves and kind of showing showing ourselves in a way um if that makes sense um I don't know Patrick yeah I think you're right because like when we started out in 2014 I feel like we I don't know I feel like we both tried to like convey this like professional Mm. like image well I, I certainly thought I was Uh, unlike (laughs) unlike social media it felt like uh we didn't show our faces Mm. we didn't really say much about ourselves other than like Mm. here's some products um whereas now it's like every every day like we're posting stuff on stories or twitter Mm. like showing like the process behind what we do Mm. i think people find that really interesting and like we show people our mistakes and stuff yeah and I think that's quite relatable Mm. so it's kind of like yeah like showing people that we're just humans and we're nice kind of thing (laughs) I think people are also just fucking nosy aren't they like they just want to know more than what's behind the people doing it and like yeah I think it's a you know without it probably being kind of formalized it is a strategy in terms of putting your your um faces to the to the brand um and you've obviously utilized social media so well for that obviously you've grown on instagram you've got thirty-two thousand followers and you twitch live stream as well um i think it'd be really useful as well for anyone who is looking to grow their platforms how have you done that how have you found that you've had that growth um it's something that a lot of people ask me with me owning an influencer agency but i actually don't know how to do that i just work with people who do so it'd be really interesting to hear your your insights into that i feel like with instagram it's almost like another part-time job like you Mm. really have to put the effort in to actually like genuinely like try to like make friends with people I think and Mm. it's more and it's more fun like using it that way as well and not just seeing it as something to just get like loads of likes or something um, Mm. because that doesn't work you'll just get really depressed if you Mm. that's all you care about I think it's just genuinely like yeah connecting with like other artists and stuff and chatting to people online and just sharing like like stuff that we do that is kind of mundane to us um people are interested in seeing aren't they like Mm -hmm. I fully like you both and like Viv you're always posting stuff like what you're eating and like (laughs) 
I felt like I was on holiday with you in Jamaica. (laughs) (laughs) People love that stuff. Like people like feel like they know you and like they've become your friend. And I think Mm. that's the way to kind of like grow your following. Like Mm. I don't think the numbers are really that important. It's it's like who follows you that's important. Like people that are genuinely Mm. going to support you and that they like you and like will support you in whatever you're doing. Like and understand that you know giving you a like and a comment is actually going to help kind of thing instead of yeah just being some random follower who just never looks at your stuff yeah I think that is such like authentic advice for anyone looking to grow their audiences because it is literally about like connecting and, and almost like networking online isn't it like you kind of forget that it's uh, a place where people can really develop connections from and friends like it's how be seen were formed like we didn't know each other beforehand mm. and then we all came together through social media and the same with you guys as well like we've been following your work um and you forget that like most of the time we haven't even met like Amy and I didn't meet until um last year but we'd been working together like for a year prior or something um and it is such an important place to to foster relationships but I think sometimes with me though I, I get so cringed out by my own stories that I go offline for about a week or two afterwards <laughs> I'm like oh, why did I just share that why did I just share that I need a poo or something like that and then like I don't post for a while and then I come back again after I got over the, the embarrassment <laughs> does anyone else feel like that Viv when you washed your feet do you feel like your following grew when I wash my feet <laughs> Wash your feet in the sink. Do you know what? Actually, a lot of people engage with that. You know, they they messaged me being like, I do this too. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm not the only one. <laughs> totally. I was one of those people too lazy to do it. Go just rinse yeah. in the sink. I guess it's such a good hack. It's such a good hack. That's, <laughs> That's the content people want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can consider sharing that to your 32,000 followers, uh, Patrick. See, see how that goes down. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a hard one to tread as well. I think some people can get it so right because they come across as really authentic and genuine. And then other times I feel it's a bit forced. Uh, there's this one brand of hot chocolate, which um, I gifted to Viv once. <gasps> My favourite. I know, it's so good. The chocolate is amazing, but their backstory is just so bland and a bit forced. It was... <laughs> Once my grandma gave me some chocolate and it inspired me to create this chocolate brand. Because... Such a lie. <laughs> I know, I'm just, you could do better than that. Yeah, that reminds me of certain um, people who have created brands that aren't related to their heritage. And like, okay, right, I'm just going to say it, like Pippi Eats, for example, how she talks about how her granddad took her to the Chinese supermarket. Hence why she's created this whole range of chili oils <laughs> better than Lao Gan Ma and also a cookbook and a, and a crowdfunded uh, restaurant place thing as well um, because of the fact that her granddad took her to Wing Yip. I said it. Just say you like Asian food. It's fine. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry, mm. I've got gripes, but yeah, anyway. Okay, why would we need to stew on that? Uh, <laughs> what I really liked about Yuckfun actually is when you look at your photography and the models that you use, there are a lot of models from a variety of backgrounds and body types. And it's not something that we're used to seeing, unfortunately. And I think a lot of brands could learn from this. So how did you make inclusivity a conscious decision with how you showed your work 
I don't know if it really was that conscious a decision, was it, Patrick? Like, it just felt weird, like, if you're just going to choose. Well, obviously, because Patrick's white and I'm Chinese, like, it would be weird just to use one type of person, I think. I, think, I can't really remember what. I feel I don't feel like we had like a sit down discussion or anything like that. Like, I feel I feel like when we first <clears throat> did some like photo shoot stuff, we we had a friend who wanted to be like a model or an influencer, mm-hmm. and she was really skinny and white. I think after those pictures, we were like, well, what if someone who isn't skinny and white wants to buy our clothes? Wouldn't it be nice if they could see people of different sizes and backgrounds? <laughs> I think that's kind of the reason is that yeah I guess like yeah we must have just like looked at our own photos and just been like well yeah I wouldn't buy this (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it just feels like common sense doesn't it really yeah how people who look like you know Mm. people who look different so so anyone who's looking at our shop would could relate in some way to one of our models and yeah, you think that would be the case, but I just there's so many brands who have um kind of not pivoted but almost backtracked to try to be inclusive. They're, they're doing it the other way around where, you know, obviously for Yuck Fun um and your marketing, it feels like such a natural uh, part of it. It's just embedded into what you do and your values and everything that you you stand for. But I think for a lot of like um not even just bigger brands, but just uh, any companies in general. It's, it's, we see it so often, it's just not considered, is it? It's, we're so used to seeing all white bodies and all thin people all the time that when you come across your type of marketing and you see people who are so varied and wide ranging and you're like, oh, actually, this is how it should be. You're like, oh, right, okay, this is great. But it's that, that's literally like the bar is so low. Mm. Um, I think one thing that we wanted to also talk about as well is, um, and I think Lucy directing this probably more towards you is there's like a really common misconception I think with anyone within the creative industry that like their your work has to has to focus on your heritage like there's almost like a set expectation of like oh you're you're Chinese you must create work that's like based off like your heritage or I don't know like racial trauma for example um Otherwise, what's what's the point in in doing it kind of thing? Um, have you ever felt that kind of feeling or compulsion to uh, lean into that heritage? And like, is there is there a way in which we can navigate that? Because there's so many artists out there who do focus on their ancestry, which is obviously drawn from their lived experiences. But do you feel like there's like from, I guess, the white gaze, an expectation of that placed upon people of color creatives? um I've I've never felt like pressured to like do that at all I feel like being an artist like you kind of what am I trying to say like you kind of like follow your own like feeling I think and I guess like because being brought up in the UK I also just didn't have a lot of like see a lot of like Chinese art or anything like that things I did see it was all like I'd never like see I guess like there's a lot of like um like watercolors and stuff and like landscapes Mm. and Chinese art and that kind of thing but like I never like saw anything like that and like 
honestly I just didn't think about it I think one of the things about growing up in a as a minority and wanting to fit in like I probably subconsciously try to suppress like quite a lot of stuff about being Chinese and you know not wanting to like have that much to do with it to be honest um I remember at like university like having an art crit from a tutor he said something about like I had like made like loads of paper cuts and stuff like that and it's all like quite small and like detailed and he was like yeah I can really see like the lineage of your hand in this work <laughs> I was like what are you on about <laughs> what does that mean cringe like, oh god it's yeah it's weird like mm. and it's 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 always like weird to me when I realize how someone else sees me because mm. I obviously because you know I can't see myself from the mm. outside it's it's just odd like I don't I don't think about it to be honest I was just thinking because I work in art and design as well, mostly graphic design. That's what I studied. And I really relate to what you say about you didn't see that around you very much. And I think education plays such a big part in that because growing up in art class, it was mainly the major um, artists from the UK and the US that you studied, especially Europe, you know, um, Picasso and things like that. Those are household names. And they don't really go beyond those borders. And again, at graphic design school, you learn about Bauhaus, about Swiss typography styles. And it's very much centered on our type of um, alphabet, you know, the linear kind. And you don't learn about, say, more Eastern styles where it's up to down or down to up really, or, you know, flowing scripts and stuff like that. And so the more you get into that kind of syllabus the less you're able to understand different styles of design that go beyond the borders of you know Europe and US and stuff like that so yeah I totally get what you mean and it took a long time for me to try and unravel that and really embrace breaking those boundaries and borders because especially with Swiss typography it's really strict you stick to symmetry you stick to balance and I love in more eastern design it's about more flowing shapes and breaking borders and doing something a bit more unexpected and so yeah I think it's always has to be something you have to consciously break out of. Yeah and I also think like growing up like Chinese stuff just wasn't cool (laughs) like I feel like now like I still don't think Chinese I feel like Japan is very cool like people love Japanese art and stuff like that and like you see so many people inspired by you know like Mount Fuji and like little onigiris and stuff like that which you don't see with like other Asian cultures I don't think. I think because of the people I follow I'm starting to embrace more Chinese design more and understand it better and embrace the colors and the shapes and things but I do get what you mean about um, Japanese style being upheld as well because I once was approached by a brand and they were making chili oils and they were not from East or Southeast Asia. 
I think it was a couple from Eastern Europe and they had done that thing where they had traveled and they came back and they wanted to introduce the flavors and they approached me because they were like oh it's really important that we came to you to design our label I was like great and obviously I asked them what's the brief what do you want me to do what do you want to look like and they said oh we really love Japanese design and they sent me a lot of Japanese labels which you know it's quite a minimalist paired back style and I thought yeah but this this isn't the style of the places that you traveled this is in vogue now in the UK but it doesn't reflect the product that you're trying to sell or the people that it honors and is supposed to represent so I went back to them and told them that and they were like okay we'll go away and think about it and then that was the end (laughs) (laughs) of course it was wait so was it a Chinese chili oil that they based on or was the places they traveled were more southeast asia southeast asia all right so not even east asian and then okay it's not just cool so jarring what the fuck <laughs> yeah not cool enough yeah i yeah i uh, yeah there is like um there's lots of jokes and tiktoks i spend a lot of time on tiktok where they almost um make fun of the fact that um japan um and J- japan has an almost like elite status and then obviously i think China dominates in, in you know, economically and whatever. Um, but then like Korea is now coming up as like, obviously we've got the rise of K-pop and K-dramas and everything like that. Um, but I, I certainly, I do relate more to what Amy's saying about like discovering Chinese artists or Eastern Southeast Asian artists in, I think our generation, I think that's where I've been able to relate so much more to my heritage is seeing people like me who potentially were uh, born here in in the UK who have like a dual heritage or perhaps like they uh, might be from Hong Kong who have moved to the UK and they're able to interpret both cultures in a way that I can really understand because I think like you said the uh, you know the work of like like waterworks and what's it called water painting you can tell i am not an artist <laughs> um you know the stuff with the wishy-washy water stuff right yeah like it's not something that I personally speaks to me but what does yeah. really speak to me is seeing work from people who are my generation who have interpreted it in their own way um like amy's work for example i've got two of her prints hung, hung up um on my wall as well as uh, our good friend uh, Carly Wu as well who is massively educated on like the um heritage of like Chinese artwork and she really brings that to a um a very kind of like Gen Z millennial type of lens which is really cool I don't know whether to appreciate me saying <laughs> Gen Z millennial <laughs> <laughs> face now horrified I know. <laughs> your style of artwork is really fun it's so bold and when you look at it you can feel so uplifted I think I really like the use of color and the characters too it's so immediately recognizable as you and being a company that uses such imagery that brings such joy to people um, you've also used that platform to talk about you know the anti-Asian hate movement and the stop Asian hate fundraising campaign that you did which was so brilliant and raised an incredible amount of money and what prompted you then to use Yuck Fun as a platform to engage with that movement? I felt like I guess like it didn't seem like anyone in our sort of creative circle was kind of like talking about it and I guess also in a way we probably weren't following very many like uh, Asian artists 
to be honest. Um, but I, I think we just wanted to do something because like there was just so many like awful news stories that just kept coming out like every day for like a, a brief period like last year. And it was just so, it was just so awful. And like, and then I saw David who was doing the, his um, Kind Red Packet fundraiser. And I was like, well, we, we should do something like that. And we should, cause like, you know, when you're just seeing all these like awful stories and you just don't know what to do, but like, we can draw pictures and like people like buying pictures and it just seemed like a good good way to kind of help raise some money and kind of connect like other EC artists and yeah just to like feel like we were doing something Because I really, yeah, I I think so many people are really scared of being that advocacy movement and talking about things that are obviously extremely uncomfortable, but more uncomfortable to experience. And yeah, putting the brand out there and saying, this is what we support, this is what we openly want to say is we're against racism is natural to a lot of people. Like for you, you talk about it like it just came to you because it seemed important to do. But for a lot of brands, I think they just don't want to engage. Um, for example, I recently, I don't know if I should name them. I mean, name yeah. them. I name them? Okay, I'm going to do yeah. it. I get so much targeted advertising from Happy Socks. And <laughs> do you know that brand? Yeah. It's like they do really bold designs. It's a Swedish brand. They do really funky, bright designs. And they've released the Lunar New Year range. And it's got uh. all tiger print and stuff like that. And obviously I, I was feeling a bit tense because I had just read some really bad news stories relating to anti-Asian hate. So I was already in a bad place. And then I got this advert. I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to drill down. And I searched it and they really consulted, obviously didn't employ people to help them. Like it was just tiger print and that was it. There was no background on who designed it or why and why they were doing it. It was just buy these tiger print socks for Lunar New Year. And so I messaged them going, so what are you going to do with the money that you're going to profit from? Like, will you be donating it to GoFundMe? It'll be great to know because you've got a white male CEO. So it'd be brilliant to see how you're utilizing this for good. I haven't heard from them, but it's that kind of thing where I'm just like, oh, even if you yeah. say, sorry, we're not engaging with it, but we're going to look into it and we'll definitely try to. That would be good enough for me. But just yeah. to be ignored yeah. is a bit like, oh, it's so sad. Yeah, mm. I, I hate this cashing in of Lunar New Year that's like seems to be like everywhere now. Yeah. Like you just see like every brand is doing something, even yeah. when they have like, I don't know, nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, it pisses me off, especially with like, um, I hate it, Sue. I have a fucking innate hatred for them so much. Like the fact that it's owned by, oh, again, white man ceo who traveled to japan once and now he brought japanese cuisine to the west um <laughs> and like i messaged them and asked them whether they were doing anything to um contribute and help the stop asian hate movement and then they just said basically said they've got another charity that they're working with and obviously they don't like racism but they're not gonna say anything about it they didn't post anything on their social media um and I just I can't believe that they still exist 
and they're still profiting and there's literally been no backlash from it. I made one TikTok that went viral um, and I got like 60,000 views. But apart from that, no one else is talking about it and it really pisses <laughs> me off and no one should ever go to Itsu ever. Yeah, I mean, that food shit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. Can't hear it either than that. Their food is shit. The thing is, I didn't mind the food. You know, oh. I like the cheap sushi. You know, when I was poor, poor working in London, I'd go after like um, before 8 p.m. when they shut and get half price sushi. Great. I, I actually don't mind it. But everything else I hate about them, you know, so I can't eat them anymore. And that's really sad because sometimes <laughs> I do want to have some cheap sushi, you know, mm. but the onus is on me now to not go. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, if you get spotted in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. cancelled. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I'm so tragic. <laughs> I don't think anyone would care to be honest, but that would be the most hilarious thing. I'm low key worried about that in case, like, I bump into someone who um, who knows me. And they're like, I "Thought you said you didn't like it, see." <laughs> <laughs> So like the other day I was reading about there's this vegan, I think YouTuber who really built their brand on promoting the vegan diet and um, doing great recipes and things like that. And then one day someone photographed them eating some fish, like eating some meat. Mm. And then it all blew up and they were like, how can you do this? You were a really good advocate for the vegan movement. And she had medical reasons. She did obviously a follow-up video talking about, I had medical reasons to do it, but I wasn't ready to destroy my brand to tell everyone I suddenly eating meat. And so it's a tricky one to navigate. It's also like why, like obviously she's profiting from that. So there's a clear like power imbalance there, but also like, it's just a clear example of just not putting anyone on a pedestal. Like you're not allowing people to like, just make mistakes or just change or anything because like of uh, you know this whole this whole brand that they've built but yeah I can see why people will be outraged by that especially if they I don't know bought stuff that she's promoted that's vegan before and stuff like that but you can only do as much as you can um obviously mm. I'm not, I can't google every single CEO of every company yeah. and then only buy <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah it is really tough like I know that I'm consciously trying not to buy Amazon things and I will, you know, try and look for smaller independent sellers wherever possible. And that's always my first choice. But sometimes I need this certain plug socket tomorrow mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I know Prime will get it to me. So it's important not to beat yourself up about it and mm-hmm. try your best, really. Yeah, that's true. But it's annoying. I, it's annoying. I'm quite <laughs> bad with Amazon. Um uh, Lucy, I wanted to kind of pick up on your point for, for both of you, I guess, in terms of you mentioned about people not really um, saying much within your community, the creative community, um, and that you hadn't followed uh, prior to that many kind of like Asian uh, creators and stuff like that. And I wondered how how is that in terms of like running a creative business? Like what is the community that is out there uh, for you? And have you have you noticed I guess you said you you noticed the lack of people speaking up about it. Is there anything else you've noticed, I guess, working in this community? Um, is there one? Is there even a creative community? Do, do you feel like you're part of one? Yeah, there definitely is one. I think, I don't know, I feel like in the UK it is overwhelmingly white. Mm. And I yeah, I'd say I'd imagine lots of 
lots of them probably wouldn't even know it was happening because I didn't, I didn't have much of an idea what was going on until like Lucy showed me stuff on Instagram and what accounts to follow, like uh, what Dear Asian Youth and mm. uh, Next Shark. Like I hadn't heard of those before. And all of a sudden you just see these horrifying things. I, I'd imagine that's one reason why lots of people weren't talking about it. But I feel like we have, we've had a huge amount of support from people who follow us, especially when we were doing the raffle. Like loads of people sharing it, yeah, and donating. What do you think, Lucy? Yeah, I mean, the thing about people not talking about it, like it is like a horrible thing to talk about, um, mm. like the things that were happening and stuff. And yeah, and I think a lot of people on Instagram still, you know, they don't want to show their faces and they don't want to, like, I guess, be vulnerable and like talk about their feelings and stuff and people are worried about being political they're, they're really interesting points I think you know firstly Patrick were you saying about it being white dominated and secondly the fact that there is like um I guess apathy and, and silence and the fear of being political is mm. I hear this so much within the in, any industry you just hear that time and time again as the reason um as to why people don't want to speak about it and like I think we we've talked about it quite a lot at BC where we've been absolutely outraged by some really close friends um not even just people within our I guess like our work circles but just really close friends who just haven't even reached out to to just extend sympathy you know like Lucy you referenced last year when there were so many um news uh, coverages about the various um hate crimes towards um east and southeast asian people um and like we saw a a flurry of people donating to be seen off the back of it and like whilst that's obviously great in terms of funding us you almost have to also think about like what what's their motive like are they doing this because it's so easy to throw money at something to appease their own guilt almost, you know, like the raffle that you did was amazing. And, but then I also think about those people who they think that that's their advocacy done is like, I'm going to donate to a raffle with the chance of winning something. So they have, there's an incentive there too. And like, it, you know, it's a really hard kind of like, it's a weird thing to grapple with because you obviously want that support, but at the same time, like so much of it is just to appease their own guilt almost I don't know whether anyone can relate to that yeah I mean like obviously you want people to be actively anti-racist but mm. I feel like it's it's such a like a big deal for anyone who's never experienced racism before like I'm like I don't know but I imagine if like you're white you just don't think about it growing up like is that true Patrick <laughs> yeah <laughs> Mm. yeah absolutely it's true yeah yeah and it, so like to just be confronted with like all this information about you know terrible things happening uh, I think it's overwhelming for people and so it is kind of understandable like and like I was happy to take people's money basically mm. <laughs> like yeah 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 totally it's one of those things where you also don't know what people might be doing that isn't being talked about online maybe they won't post that they've donated mm. somewhere actually I prefer if you didn't because that seems a bit formative but yeah. yeah I definitely got to that stage as well where you just think oh why is there so much silence around it and I thought 
the more that I think about it and worry about it, it's just going to wind, I'm just winding myself up basically. Yeah. And it does really suck because I feel that you can only hope for the best case scenario and that's probably not the case, but what can you do but try and talk about it as much as possible. And it is exhausting as well because I'm not next shark. I'm not a news outlet and I don't want to have to keep talking about it because it's hard. But there's so many people I know who know that they don't have to engage with it, so they won't. And I will post about it. And that might be the only time that they hear about an incident and then that's it. So, yeah, I don't know what the solution mm-hmm. is. I'm just I'm just rambling, really. No, <laughs> I think I'm the same, too, because then on, on the flip side of that, you're so right. Like people want to do it you need to do it in a way that's sustainable and and that is protecting your own mental health first and foremost um there's been lots of books that i've read that talk about what is it nova reed um or leila Fsada, both of their books um who who kind of guide people white people through and robin d'angelo as well who talk about how to do this in a way that's actually sustainable for you and i i think it i do lend compassion to people who haven't experienced this before or known about it to a certain extent um but then i think you kind of then also have to push past that you know oh i didn't know about it and then actually start to do the do the work in a in a sustainable way but i think that's what puts people off because it's like what fuck this is for the long run I actually mm. <laughs> it's not just like donate once and that's it I've actually got to continue doing this <laughs> yeah it's work isn't it totally it is and I think for people of you know for a lot of people of color well certainly for my I can only speak for myself like for me I can't switch off from it and sometimes I do find that I have to uh, I consume so much of it that it's like then exhausting because that's all I've consumed. Like all the books that I've read recently have been anti-racism books. And I think and talk about nothing else with like my friends, um, which is just not <laughs> a good place to be in probably if you're always thinking about that kind of stuff. And people are on different stages of their journey. So maybe mm. really early on, you had quite a, a conscious environment where maybe your family members or your friends were actively talking about it. I certainly feel like growing up in London I had more of an awareness of what certain words you shouldn't say because I had friends already who were black and South Asian and from different backgrounds and I already got that sense of okay not cool to say certain things and then when you read about online say influencers who use openly use those words and didn't realize and I just think ah they must have been environment where it, it just wasn't the thing to talk about and so they just didn't realize it was bad and so I remember there was an instant where I was working um, with a white colleague and I must have been about 18 and we were talking about racism. And then he said to me, I experienced racism. People be racist towards me. And I didn't really question him because I just obviously wasn't that far along in my journey. So I was like, oh, no, that's really bad. Of course. I felt (laughs) like he opened up my mind like, yeah, white people. (laughs) racism and so only later on I learned obviously reverse racism doesn't exist and he was in a position of privilege and I just took it because I just thought oh right yeah that's a good point that sounds fair to me so mm. I you know I went oh, that is my journey mm. <laughs> that he was talking rubbish <laughs> that's so, so naive. I was so naive no know? but I've, yeah like you Amy you yeah. talked about like the sunglasses thing like this is the metaphor that Amy always uses like we were walking around with like these 
sunglasses what racism sunglasses where we couldn't <laughs> notice the racism the sun rays of racism the sun the racism the, the racism. racism yeah and like it's so true and then like you look back and you're patrick is it has it clicked for you yet patrick i've seen about uh, ray <laughs> bands but yeah. racism bands racism oh. bands can you create some on your next piece yeah. of art, <laughs> Could you do one on your next, yeah. like, draw-along? Could you do a yeah. racism? racism. Band? Yeah. <laughs> imagine, like, we were talking about, like, imagine putting them on and then we would just be, like, you wouldn't be able to notice it and you could just walk down the street and people would be saying horrible words, but you wouldn't notice because mm. you've got the racism bands on. <laughs> then we come along and right. chuck them away. <laughs> <laughs> racism we've really gone off oh, on a tangent for here. Us, i don't know would it be no would it not be for people of color to wear like um yeah. so we could be protected from the racists like the uv racists i <laughs> 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 think you'd be getting new product ideas when you came on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first. Be seen and yuck fun collaboration. <laughs> um, I guess we'll end it on um, some tips and advice from you guys in terms of anyone who has is thinking about starting in the creative field. So they necessarily haven't even begun their journey yet, but they really want to think about doing it. What would you give them in terms of advice if they want to be illustrators, designers, makers? Uh it's really hard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't do Just it. Don't do hard. it. <laughs> Be prepared to work really hard and, yeah, maybe not earn very much for a long time. I also steal think steal you yourself. To, yeah, grow. You need to grow a thick skin because there's going to be loads of rejection. <laughs> well, this is not the inspiring advice that we were looking for, <laughs> you know? We were trying to end it on a positive note, but it just sounds oh. like we don't want people to enter the creative <laughs> industry because it's hard and you will be poor for a long time. Is that okay? Great. Oh, You're no. fun now. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, no, we need to think of something good. So. No, no I, think, I think that's quite very honest, uh, very honest advice there. That Molly, that Molly May thing just popped into my head. You know, I was a- worried that Patrick was going to say. We've all got we twenty four have- hours. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to get cancelled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I would say like it is hard, but you've got to try and have fun. You've just got to try and have fun being an it artist. Is, Remember why yeah. you got into it. Yeah, this is our dream job, even though it's really hard. <laughs> and it's not that hard. I mean, we're not working in a coal mine. We're not, you know, firefighters. It's, mm. you know, we're just making, like, at its hardest, we're staying up a little bit later than we'd like to and putting things in envelopes when we need to send them out to people and whatnot. <laughs> you know, it's not that bad. <laughs> is it? <laughs> when you put it like that, it's not as bad as coal mining, no. It's I'd not agree. quite as bad as I coal do, mining. <laughs> I do really, I think taking away the idea of like um, joy and the fact that like you love what you do is, is I think is a really good piece of advice. I really admire the way you also sustain what you do because I'm really bad at ending <laughs> projects. So I'll start something and then the next thing I know, I'm starting a new thing. And <laughs> I really 
genuinely need to absorb your energy because I can't continue on the same thing for a long time whereas you've managed to build your business because you've persisted and kept at it and even though it's hard just thought you know we enjoy it and take the good with the bad I guess so please can you tell me how I can stop giving up on things (laughs) (laughs) maybe I can't be helped (laughs) how to keep going yeah how do we keep going what's driving us money enough about money (laughs) (laughs) well that's sound advice actually that's fair we all need it that's true we do yeah i really like um you know what's that podcast so yikes the yikes podcast they say we're anti-capitalist babes in the capitalist world like Mm, what else can we do we need we need money we do there's no shame in that yeah it was really good to chat with both of you thank you for coming on Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So Sorry we didn't have any more positive advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're keeping it real. Keeping it yeah. real. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a really good chat. Thank you.